The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones that you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So... Go to podsurvey.com slash goodfootball and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash goodfootball. G-O-O-D-F-O-O-T-B-A-L-L. Thanks for your help. friends, welcome to this, another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, joined again two times this week by three other just handsome, lovely, beautiful people. Their names, Hayden Winks, John Daigle, and Patrick Benedardi. Gentlemen, how are we? Good, not as buoyant as you. We haven't had as good of a week with uh, the English soccer team that we, for whatever reason, adopted. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe staying up. We don't know for sure. Can we talk about that for a moment? Because this has been no. this <laughs> this has been a week of of self reflection in some ways, guys. Because I think many of us who have worked in sports for so long, and Pat, tell me if I'm misusing this word, but have kind of been jaded with like the the feelings and emotions that sports bring out of us. Well, that has completely changed for me this week. Like I am back to being you know 16 year old Josh in 2003 with the Carolina Panthers going to the Super Bowl. Um, this is something where I wake up nervous. I go to bed nervous, uh, <laughs> just full of emotion, John Daigle. And it's, it's you know, an, it, it, it makes me realize why people enjoy the stuff that we do and like wear jerseys and watch football games on Sunday because I think we kind of lose sight of that at times. That makes so sense. So I'm asking for a friend who didn't pay attention at all. What exactly happened? What are you describing? Look, we only have a 50-minute show today, so I don't know if I can get into it. But basic, okay, basically, there are three teams that get relegated from the Premier League every single year. And if you get relegated, basically, your entire roster has to change because you don't have enough money to pay them, so on and so forth. Well, there are three teams battling for two spots to get relegated right now. And as it stands, Villa is one goal difference, one goal difference away from getting relegated. They all play Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Villa is on NBCSN. So basically, Daigle, if they win, they stay up. There's a lot of iterations that could happen there. Uh, it's, it's it, again, I have no fingernails at this moment just based on what has happened this week. A lot more cutthroat than American sports. Oh, my gosh. Um, all I know yeah. about Villa is what I know from you, and that's that 
we shouldn't expect them to win on Sunday, right? We no. want them to win, but we shouldn't expect it. D- does the name Randy Lerner mean anything to you? As Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, well, he's the former Browns owner. And, Great owner. And at one point in the last decade, he was also the Aston Villa owner. So if, if that is any symbolism or connection between the two franchises, then that probably sums it up very well yeah. right there. Josh, I got to make a quick point, a serious point to your point is like, so we talk about you know, sports tribalism is bad. Like when we focus on like tribalism, like that part's bad, toxic fandom, but we don't like celebrate. I mean, the sense of community that oh is gosh. worth celebrating, like the good tribalism. And yeah, everyone should still have like a team or two, even because, you know, like, as you know, I, I don't know what makes you think I might be jaded guys. I'd hate to <laughs> anybody, um, but like, I am not jaded, even though I should be about the university of Missouri. And I just encourage any aging sports fan or any Twitter hipster, even though they might feel above it, you should still have a team or two that you have irrational fandom for, as long as you don't let it get toxic. Hayden, it's it's, it's, amazing. Sports is the only thing that can bring this kind of emotion out of me. Like it, it is, it is rare and it is only connected to sports. I think. Yeah. I'm, I'm that way with USC football. I have not found that with any NFL team or anything else, but with USC football, the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. ride or die um uh hayden i'm gonna uh, leak some of your clay helton twitter or slack messages yes um, yes please do yeah. <laughs> uh, all right gentlemen let's get started um this is the counterpart to the episode that we did on tuesday go back and listen to that where we went through one burning question for every afc team well guess what we have to do one burning question for every nfc team and the time is right because Every player, every team is reporting to headquarters right now, even if they don't touch the field for about 10 or 14 days. Um, Once again, we are going to do our best to keep these answers to about three to four minutes. I will move on as quickly as possible. We each have four teams and these 16 that we're going to discuss today. And again, this is our single burning question ahead of training camp. And we'll start off in the NFC North and we'll start off with Hayden Winks and the Chicago Bears. My burning question is, can the running backs find more success? So last year, the Bears were 29th in expected points added per carry. Uh, David Montgomery only averaged 3.7 yards per carry, and he was 44th out of 45 qualifying running backs in yards after contact per carry. Tariq Cohen, there was 199 players with 30-plus targets. Tariq Cohen was 195th in yards per target. Um, And, yeah, that's where we have to start is, can they get any success on the ground with their two running backs because outside of those two, it's just uh, really just Allen Robinson and uh, Anthony Miller that we have to worry about for fantasy. I mean, this will be a season defining question for the bears who have basically no skill depth. You know, they have uh, Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller, and then uh, almost nothing proven behind them. They have David Montgomery and Tariq Cohen, and then basically no one behind them. Like you said, Tariq Cohen was one of the least efficient pass catchers of the 21st century last year. One of the lowest yards per catch of the entire century. You know, just 
so many wasted looks, but they don't have anywhere else to funnel them uh, still. So Tariq Cohen has to be better. David Montgomery has to be better. He has to be more uh, you know, whole greater than the sum of his parts running back that they thought they were getting. And yeah, I mean, this team is just, it's going to be going nowhere fast if we don't get more from both running backs. It's why, though, we continue drafting David Montgomery is because the touches and the carries in particular are all there for him. Uh, Tariq Cohen actually saw 13 more targets last year than he did in 2018, but somehow finished with nearly 300 fewer receiving yards because he was literally, despite running a position-high 105 route from the slot, was literally the most inefficient back probably outside of Leonard Fournette and the entire league. Uh, so it's an interesting conundrum in particular for Tariq Cohen if you're targeting him and PPR links as your RB5, RB6, if you can even get him that late. But for me, Montgomery, despite being inefficient, it's just the touches are there and it's negligent competition to worry about. Well, you mentioned running back five, running back six. I think that that's a fantasy land because right now he's going as basically teams running back threes, right? Like, And maybe I'm talking about David Montgomery way too much this offseason. This is one of those pitfalls that maybe I'll find myself in and thinking, why did I do this in October? But I am. I mean, he's going right now around the likes of Le'Veon Bell, Chris Carson, David Johnson, Dave Montgomery, and Devin Singletary. I can talk myself into that because I can talk myself into that his rookie season potentially is the worst season of David Montgomery's career. Hayden, what's fascinating, we always talk about this with prospects coming out of college. He was a tackle breaker in the college level. He was a yards after contact player. He was awful among the worst in the league in that last year. And we've seen Kyle Long come out who isn't retired, but is away from the Chicago Bears saying that coaching staff is not good. That offensive line played really poorly last year. Has this team done enough to fix that? Probably not because their biggest offseason signing along that offensive line was a Seattle Seahawks outcast in Jermaine Ifedi. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's, it is very nerve wracking for this team that trade up for David Montgomery that is keeping him as a foundation back, but Hayden, the, the volume is absolutely going to be there. Right. Breaking tackle is kind of a two-part equation. You have to break the tackle and then you have to explode upfield. And that second part is what yeah. David Montgomery struggles with right now. And when I was going through uh, kind of who's calling plays this year, one of the interesting things I saw was the Chicago Bears were fourth in neutral situation pass rate. Matt Nagy wanted to throw the ball last season. And that's why I have Allen Robinson all the way up as my wide receiver six, I think that the volume for him is going to be immense. He can be top five in targets this year. I mean, for how many negatives we had about the Bears last year, they still went eight and eight. You know, if Nick Foles is a little bit better, if Dave Montgomery does a little bit better, if that defense can sustain what they did, and maybe Robert Quinn adds something, that's a potential playoff team, which, you know, the Vikings are an easy team that you can see falling out of that playoff spot. Okay. Let's move on to the next NFC North team. This is John Daigle and his, yes, I will call them his, Detroit Lions. I'm fine claiming the Lions. And my question for my Lions will be, will DeAndre Swift or on Johnson lead this backfield in touches? Johnson has played 18 games for the Lions in his career. And in the three games after the team cut C.J. Anderson last year, that's when he received 21 touches per game on 72% of their snaps. But in his other 15 career games, he's averaged just 13 touches on 48% of the snaps because that's what Patricia does. Matt Patricia runs a backfield by committee. So with no receiving role to speak of, um, especially because that's where DeAndre Swift excels, I would argue that carry-on as the RB42 overall right now is still overrated at that position and should be going basically undrafted or uh, much further down, 10, 20 spots. 
I sadly agree because I think we probably still all love carry on Johnson's talent, but you know, the lions last year, they were not subtle about it going into the season. Their concern with carry on Johnson was, can he hold up under these bigger workloads? And for the second time in two years, uh, he showed that he could not. And then, you know, again, another action speaking louder than words that go out. DeAndre Swift is the first running back off the board. Uh, not the first, but one of the one of the first running backs off the board. And like you said, they want this to be a two-man backfield. They had durability concerns about Karrion Johnson. He's now 0 for 2. And DeAndre Swift, who I thought was the best running back in this class, uh, apologies to CEH, uh, hmm. is going to be the touch leader. I think even after the lost offseason, he's going to be the touch leader. And yeah, Karrion Johnson really is just kind of going to be dead weight on your bench early in the season. Not to peel the curtain back too much here, but this caught me off guard. This was Sunday night. At 11.30 p.m., I get a text from Evan Silva saying, you are trashing on carry-on way too much. And I'm like, the Lions trash on carry-on. I mean, they brought in DeAndre Swift. They basically have talked about backfields, like having multiple people run the football for years. No, dude, you're screwing up. I <laughs> Am I screwing up? Like, I mean, one, you can obviously buy that because that is very much Evan talk, and I might have changed a few uh, F-bombs there. <laughs> but I – are we overlooking Carryon Johnson, who to me is someone when he's on the field looks a lot like DeMarco Murray. And because of this offseason, because he knows this offense, is this someone who can step in immediately and at least for the first, I don't know, Hayden, six to eight weeks be the backfield leader in touches um, in an offense that I think if everyone stays healthy, has a great potential and ceiling to maybe be a top 10 offense in the NFL this season. Yeah, I, I think that they're going to struggle to separate from each other initially. Um, maybe carry on gets the the veteran nod here, but I think DeAndre Swift's just more explosive in general. So I would rather have DeAndre Swift, and I have carry on Johnson significantly lower in the ADP as well. But once again, the Lions last year, the reason why they were explosive is because they're passing offense. Through the first eight weeks, Matthew Stafford was the quarterback five. Kenny Galladay was the wide receiver nine, and Marvin Jones was the wide receiver 11. So in fantasy drafts this year, I've been targeting – uh, mostly Matthew Stafford and, and Marvin Jones. And I, I'm not even sure if I've ever clicked DeAndre Swift or Kerryon Johnson in the fantasy draft this season. It was only two games again, but when C.J. Anderson, who we could probably replicate not only DeAndre Swift, but Bo Scarborough still around, uh, Kerryon Johnson didn't get a single carry inside the 10 for those first two weeks. And like Hayden said, I can't imagine picking Zach Moss, Lindsey, Latavius Murray, Antonio Gibson, go on and on over him as they're going right now. I mean, Evan Silva is the smartest person I know, but this is just not a situation. You don't even really have to read between the lines. This is I was all out there. Yeah, it, it didn't make any sense to me. It's like I had been sleeping all summer and woke up and like didn't realize this backfield is what it was. Am I imagining things? I mean, I feel like we can go by actions and not by words, but by both. Both DeAndre Swift is going to be the leader in this backfield. At least that's what I would put the odds on. So I've I've read a couple zero RB articles. Uh specifically from Pat Corrain, who does work at ETL, really good work. And really I believe Carry On was on his list as well. So maybe it's just Roto World fighting with ETL right now. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't even know it. Let's move on to one of the more fascinating teams this offseason. That is the Green Bay Packers, because for two offseasons in a row, they basically decided not to add a wide receiver for Aaron Rodgers. Instead, they drafted Aaron Rodgers' future replacement. Patrick Dart, what do you say? I mean, the question is, do the Packers even want Aaron Rodgers to bounce back? Because 
it's another situation where you didn't have to read between the lines. I mean, everyone who saw a Green Bay Packers game last year knows they needed more weapons in the passing game, and instead they have an entire run-focused draft. Uh, the only addition they make as a pass catcher is basically a tight end light in Devin Punches, not someone who's going to move the needle or change the dynamic in your receiver core and your passing game. And yeah, I just, it's just so bizarre because I mean, it's only 18 months ago that the Packers extended Aaron Rodgers. Um, but maybe it's just one of those situations. You know, the locker room's kind of a black box still for fans. We don't know what goes on in locker rooms. And maybe Aaron Rodgers' ego has just gotten so monstrous that they're just done. They're out. This is the last year. They want to move on after this. And maybe, I mean, again, the action speaking louder, they are designing this offense for a post Aaron Rodgers future. And yeah, it's just, I mean, clearly they want Aaron Rodgers to be good this year, I guess, because they want to be good. But I, I don't think their heart will break if Aaron Rodgers uh, gives them reason to move on. And I just, yeah, I don't even know if the Packers want Aaron Rodgers to bounce back. Hayden, what pieces of this Packers offense do you believe in? I mean, I believe in Devontae Adams, absolutely. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Devontae Adams ends the season as the wide receiver one. But after that, where a lot of these players are going, I just do not want any shares in them at all. Yeah, Devontae Adams averaged 19.4 fantasy points per game last last year on 10.6 targets. He's also a contender for most targets in the league. Um, he should be going in the first round. I'm totally fine with that. Aaron Jones is somebody that I have not drafted as well. He's kind of being drafted at the end of the second round, and he's just one of the biggest negative touchdown regression candidates um, he scored 7.7 more touchdowns than expected, according to my model. And that doesn't even throw in the mix. A.J. Dillon weighs 247 pounds. It was one of the best short yardage backs in college football last season. So um, out of the group, I like A.J. Dillon as a late-round flyer, but I have not been clicking Aaron Jones or Alan Lazard, none of those guys. Just kind of A.J. Dillon and Devontae Adams. There is a price I'll still pay for Aaron Jones easily after uh, mm-hmm. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire usually goes off the board. Um, having said that, I do like A.J. Dillon, but it is slightly concerning that it is the same coach that benched the A.J. Dillon prototype, Derrick Henry, for essentially a whole year behind Deion Lewis. So that's scary. And then, But I will say that ESPN recently did a Beat Writers Roundtable, and one of the surprise cuts they listed, a potential cut, was Jamal Williams, which makes sense given Dexter Williams' presence still there with the same coaching staff that drafted him. So uh, if that happens for whatever reason, then A.J. Dillon, you have to get even higher on than I already am. Pat, it's, I mean, this team went 13-3 and last year. We all expect them to be worse than 13-3 and this year. But how often do you see a team win their division, have that good of a record, and just have an eye on the future more than the present? Unless we're missing something and, I, and I'm missing something. Like you led this question, I mean, this team has invested so much on the defensive side of the ball, including the Smith, including the Smith brothers on the outside last year and a lot of defensive backs. But offensively, it's just like they're buying into Matt LaFleur more than they're buying into Aaron Rodgers. So it's, it's strange. It's the only explanation is that there's just kind of something we don't – maybe it's like a Jim Harbaugh situation in San Francisco is kind of what I've compared it to where like why would a team want to move on from this person? And maybe it's just because everyone in the building – has had enough. There needs to be a change of scenery. And you know, the Packers just saw the same thing we saw. Like, how was this team 13-3? and three? They are clearly thinking the same thing. And my final point on this, I will say I'm still very comfortable drafting Aaron Jones. I think I've had this debate with Hayden a few times already where I think the touchdown regression is already baked into his ADP. He's going as like the RB 9 or 10. And even if he scored seven or eight fewer touchdowns last year, he still would have been a clear explosive RB 1. This is someone who has rendered committees obsolete several times already. Um, so I'm still comfortable. I'm maybe the only person still comfortable betting on Aaron Jones this season. 
Let's go to the Minnesota Vikings, a team that made the playoffs last year, beat the Saints in the playoffs, but have lost their offensive coordinator in Kevin Stefanski. He's been replaced by Gary Kubiak. But my question is this. Who is going to replace Stefan Diggs as the downfield playmaker? You know, over the last four seasons, you can say whatever you want about Kirk Cousins, but he's ranked no lower than seventh in touchdowns off deep throws, 20-plus yard throws. And last year, of his nine touchdowns on those 20-plus yard throws, Stefan Diggs accounted for six of them, which actually led all wide receivers across the NFL. Who was set to replace that element in this passing attack? It's certainly not Adam Thielen, even though – his average depth of target grew about two yards. It's certainly not Justin Jefferson, who was basically the Adam Thielen version in the college game. Is it BC Johnson? Is it someone else? I mean, without that element in this offense, I am nervous about what they can do offensively. Is it Irv Smith? Uh, they still have Laquan Treadwell. Maybe it's him. No, they don't. Laquan uh, Treadwell is on the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, they have Tajay Sharp, Patrick Darty. Is he going to just do it? to be? Just to be clear, the treadmill thing was a joke, but uh, okay. <laughs> I agree. I mean, it's a missing element from this offense. Maybe Irv Smith, who a big threat for me down the seam on Madden, he can make big plays down the seam. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a hole for this offense. And again, an offense, another offense that's clearly retreating further and further into run land, just like the Green Bay Packers. Uh, why can't it be Adam Thielen? I mean, it, it can be. We just haven't really seen that before right so that's kind of one of those questions that up in the air and that was more of a microcosm to a bigger question about this offense because now again Gary Kubiak is coming in as the offensive coordinator who is 58 years old taking over from a 38 year old and like going back and writing this preview for the Vikings you know Stefanski had this offense with the sixth highest play action rate last year well Gary Kubiak the last time he was in charge of a team ranked 16th 26th and then 28th in play action rate you know has he learned something from that year with Kevin Stefanski, and I hope so, because if he hasn't, then this team is going to, I think, massively drop off because that play-action game factored very much into Kirk Cousins really having a career year in a lot of statistics. I, I would a real quick point I'll inject there before someone else gets me along is that Gary Kubiak actually is very good at picking his spots with play action. Maybe he didn't do it from like a volume, but the Texans' Gary Kubiak teams made consistently explosive plays from play action. I am not on the board for – Adam Thielen, wide receiver six or seven overall, but the opportunity and direct path to that opportunity is obviously there. That's why he's my pick. Uh, he's not injury prone, even though he was injured for most of last year, but then still returned in that game against the Saints and um, was amazing in that one. But in particular, in 2018, finished as the wide receiver five overall in PPR, had the 12th highest target share, 25% among all receivers in the league. And that is literally just one season removed. Um, we typically look at it as a bugaboo to not target like a 30 year old plus receiver. Mm -hmm. But the fact is like not being injured, still being healthy and not really like at the, at the, an age of dropping off really. Like he still has a couple peak years in himself. Like I still love Thielen in that offense. I do it too. It's bizarre because he kind of has over his past 18 games, second half of 2018. And then his injury marred year last year is under a thousand yards. And, I just hope we're not like witnessing a player like break down in real time. But like you said, I, I'm betting on an Adam Thielen bounce back to me, comfortably a top 10 wide receiver. Mm -hmm. Let's yeah, jump. Hold on real quick. Yeah. The, the Vikings were sixth in the percentage percentage of their snaps with the lead last year. That's going to be significantly lower last year. They lost a lot of pieces on defense. So they were 30th in pass attempts. That number is going to climb up. And that's why Adam Thielen's inside my top 10. 
NFC East time, a team in the Dallas Cowboys that is always in the news. Right now, it's because Dak Prescott still does not have a long-term contract. But Hayden, this is an offense we absolutely love. Yeah, so my question is, can Amari Cooper hold off Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb? So we all know the Cowboys' offense is going to be electric. They were sixth in scoring last year, despite being 15th in percentage of the red zone trips ending in a touchdown. They could be a top three scoring offense this year. That would not surprise anybody. And the Cowboys have the second most available targets. So there's a slight chance that all three of these receivers could pay off in fantasy. Right now, uh, Amari Cooper's ADP is wide receiver 11. Michael Gallup was wide receiver 29. But last year, at fantasy points per game, Cooper was wide receiver 14. Michael Gallup was wide receiver 17. So there's a pretty big discount on Michael Gallup and fantasy drafts. Uh, right now. And then we have to throw in CeeDee Lamb, who's my top receiver coming out of the draft. Absolutely electric, kind of like a DeAndre Hopkins type player at Oklahoma last year. So I'm also kind of interested in him in the around the 10th round. It was those second half knee and ankle injuries that really bothered Cooper down the stretch. So much so that remember, and that must win week 16 game to lock down the division against the Eagles, I believe. Uh, one last play and Jason Garrett actually took Cooper off the field. The play mattered, and Garrett, like that's that's a whole other argument. But Garrett took him off the field, whereas through the first nine games, Cooper was the overall wide receiver four and PPR scoring for that team. Uh, so I just like them all, honestly. I think they can all feed. I don't pick CD Lamb to lead the rookie receivers in targets because there's not as much opportunity there, but he can absolutely lead in efficiency and production and just raw receiving yards. But there is opportunity available for with the absence of Randall Cobb, right? There's still 85 targets out there. And, you know, I don't think that they're going to be stuck with one of these players playing in the slot like Randall Cobb basically has to. They're going to be able to rotate. They're going to be able to pick up the matchups that they want. They're going to be able to maximize defensive personnel groupings. I can't wait. I mean, this was already at times last year, one of the best offenses in the NFL. They had a plus 113 point differential, which was third in the entire NFC. Yet they didn't even make the playoffs. I mean, that has to change. It's like the opposite of what the Packers did last year in terms of we're going to get some positive, hopefully, win-loss regression here for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, one another good thing with the Cowboys, too, is the new they have a new coach, but they actually have offensive continuity where they kept surprisingly yeah. kept the play caller and Kellen Moore. And not, the Cowboys weren't like the best-designed offense in the world last season, but there was definitely uh, a lot of positives to take away. And so, yeah new coach, but thankfully aren't remaking the entire offense and hopefully a healthier Amari, Michael Gallup and CD lamb can just hit the ground running. And Hayden, from a team building standpoint, I'm not going to say that they're mirroring the Kansas city chiefs, but they're closer to that, to that instead of like someone like the bears or the Steelers, you know, really focusing in the defensive side of the ball because they're basically bringing in veterans who have kind of become journeymen in some situations, almost forgetting in some cases about their defensive backs and they're just are going to try to score more points than you, which I love. That's the type of football I love to watch right now. Yeah, the, the Cowboys, are, that's why I think they're going to be a top three, top four scoring offense this year. They have zero secondary, and they're going with like a, a stars and scrubs approach on defense, which we'll see how that, that plays out. But regardless, a top tier offensive line, a one of the best, maybe the best three wide receiver set. Dak Prescott's a top 10 quarterback easily. So, I mean, what am I missing here? Draft all of them. Prescott quickly also at least six rushing touchdowns in his first three years in the league and fell back to three last year. So there's still some left on the plate for this year. Still in the NFC East, let's move on over to the New York Giants. And speaking of Jason Garrett, he moves from Dallas up 
to New Jersey, I guess, and becomes the offensive coordinator for Daniel Jones, who no matter what your opinion, Daigle, I would say that there were some pauses we should all take away from Daniel Jones's rookie season. Oh, I thought you were going to say Jason Garrett. I was like, no, there was no pauses no <laughs> in a decade. Uh, my, my question, though, is what receivers should we be targeting? What receivers should we be targeting this offense? You'll hear that Golden Tate is the pick because he led the team in targets and catches from Daniel Jones. But that's bad context because he, he played two more games with Jones and Shepard and three more than Evan Ingram. Uh, in the three full games that hit all of them, including Slayton, played together, it was Shepard who led with a 23% target share. And the five games Shepard missed, it was actually Slayton who led in touchdowns and Golden Tate that led in target share. And then Slayton wasn't even rosterable himself until Evan Ingram missed those six games. And that's what allowed him to get on the field more in place of Ingram. So it's just an odd conundrum that I still think Shepard is the one being undervalued. And Slayton is the one you pick given his age, given that he slipped to the fifth round, but he wasn't really supposed to. He was still a top 150 prospect for Dane Brugler. Uh, and then Golden Tate is the one I am personally out on. So, I mean, did, people are fading Darius Slayton kind of because his production was kind of like forced yeah. by injury to his teammates and he got thrown into the fire. But to me, if you're a fifth round rookie and you have 740 receiving yards as and like uh, that's the he was the third most receiving yards for a receiver draft in the fifth round or later since the AFL NFL merger in 1970. And with Darius Slayton, when you see someone when I see a rookie come into the league and immediately show their strengths on the field, Darius Slate, you know, burner four, three, nine speed. When that immediately translates to the NFL level, like you have to take notice and it doesn't matter if the circumstances are good. I mean, how many rookies do not take advantage of great situations? Darius Slayton took advantage of a great situation last year. And I honestly think he's being faded too far in fantasy drafts. I'm, I'm completely on the opposite, actually. I watched Darius Slayton. I think Darius Slayton's a good real-life football player. I think he's a good deep threat. But I built a receiving touchdown model. He was way overperforming last year. And then I watched some of the film. And like three or four out of his touchdowns, like a running back slipped in the rain. There was like a completely busted coverage. All of these things. I'm just lower on Darius Slayton a little bit. And I'm with Daigle. I think uh, Sterling Shepard is probably the guy that I'm drafting because I don't really want Golden Tate really at all and just the Giants offense in general this year I think is going to be way less aggressive last year Pat Shermer called the eighth fastest pace they were ninth in neutral uh, situation pass rate they were ninth in pass attempts I would take the under on all three of those so I basically haven't drafted any of these guys really I think the one I am going after is Sterling Shepard and it helps when he's going after Darius Slayton this is also one of those wide receiver groups that you know if, if you wanted to in fantasy land to attack and add multiple of them, it's very easy to because they're all going super late. I mean, Sterling Shepard is going after two rookies and Henry Ruggs and Jalen Rager. He's going after John Brown. He's going after Emmanuel Sanders right now. And again, if you ask me to put odds on someone being the leading receiver of these three, it would be Sterling Shepard. But I don't know, man. I don't know what to think of this Giants team. I think because of the hires that they've had this offseason, we still don't know who Joe Judge is at all. Um, Jason Garrett is back to calling plays. I mean, Pat, is this a situation where I think Daniel Jones like showed tremendous playmaking ability, something that was shocking to me that I didn't think he had in him. And in fact, it was maybe too many blinders he had onto the downfield game. And are they going to try to like rein him in and make him something that is not? Because IDGAF Daniel Jones to me is just a lot of fun. It actually was, yeah. And he was kind of surprisingly Josh Allening last year. So many turnovers, but 
was way more big plays than I was expecting. And yet, one thing with Sterling Shepard, pretty concerning injury history, missed major time two of the past three seasons. A uh, great point on, you know, not knowing what to expect here. Obviously, we don't know what to expect from Joe Judge. I mean, even Jason Garrett hasn't called plays in like seven or eight years. I have no idea what kind of offense he's going to run. So yeah, just a very volatile situation. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I know I'm out on the Darius Slayton Island uh, and I don't like being on the opposite side of Hayden. doesn't make you feel good. And, and quickly again, if you are in a redraft league, uh, you can go Daniel Jones. You can draft him. That's fine. But don't do it unless it's deep rosters and don't do it unless he's your quarterback too, because the Giants open up against the Steelers, travel to Chicago for the Bears home opener, host the Niners, and then go cross country against the Rams to start their season. Daniel Jones will outpoint Josh Allen this season. Just had to throw that one in there. All right, let's go now to the Philadelphia Eagles, a team last year kind of miraculously towards the end of the year won four straight games and made the playoffs at 9-7. and seven. And in fact, Pat, won the NFC East with that record. Yeah, I mean, every year the Eagles kind of like make the, the most out of a bad situation. Uh, and part of the bad situation last year was just complete lack of receiver depth, so many receiver injuries, and – something they knew was a huge problem aggressively addressed and yeah can Jalen Rager be the guy from day one because they clearly want him to be uh, someone with some very special traits basically wow acceleration like just the guy who can explode off the line but you know very unrefined overall game a sloppy game you know a lot of kind of just mental errors with bad quarterback play and just Someone I'm not positive is – I mean, he's going to be thrown into the fire probably earlier than he should be. Um, but I think they they want him to be the new number one. But, yeah, my question is, can Jalen Rager actually accomplish this uh, from week one on? Because just a very raw prospect. I love Jalen Rager. I mean, I'm drafting yeah. him basically in every single scenario that I can. He's moved up already from about wide receiver 50 to around wide receiver 45. So I, I think he might be one of those few rookies – that we see even propel themselves further up in ADP. But one, this team has a ton of targets available, 128. That's 21%. And two, TCU just did an absolutely horrific job in manufacturing easy touches real, for Jerry Rager real, real last bad. year. I mean, nine screens, nine slot receptions on 113 slot snaps, 14 rushing attempts. I, I kind of trust Doug Peterson, who we have seen come from the Andy Reid tree and be this type of schemer offensively who wants someone with real speed who can get touches near the line of scrimmage who can be creative with he hasn't had one of those at all with philadelphia and i think at the easiest at the the smallest level jalen rigger comes in and does that and to me he other than deshaun jackson obviously is the most explosive element on this team 2.9 yards per route run as a sophomore at TCU, and then 1.5 last year because he was playing with not only a true freshman under center, but an injured true freshman at that. He stumbles into, he doesn't even need to have effort to get 100 targets this year. That's why I think it's him or Jefferson that lead this class in that category. I was going to say, no offense to that TCU quarterback last year, but plenty of offense. Tr- truly one of the worst I've ever seen. And Josh, you made a good point. And this is something the Eagles have been pursuing for several years. They've been desperate for perimeter speed, desperate for a true deep threat. And because of injury, this has not worked out several times. And this is something they've wanted to add to their offense for so long. So I completely agree they're going to force the issue. And Alshon Jeffrey likely starting on pup list. There is no competition alongside Deshaun Jackson, none whatsoever. And look, I it's awful what Deshaun Jackson has said. It's 
he's put himself in an absolutely horrific situation. But we've both covered, we've all covered this league for long enough where we can think that and say that since he's still in the roster now, he's almost certainly going to still be in the roster when the season starts. Right now, he's going around wide receiver 60. This is obviously an element on their team that they thought they were sorely missing last year. You know, that's why they kept Sean Jackson. That's why they went and got Jalen Rager. That's why they traded for Marquise Goodwin, right? This is the type that they believe fits with Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz underneath. Everyone else can go make explosive plays. And so where Jalen Rager and Deshaun Jackson are going right now, I want both of them on my team because I truly believe in Carson Wentz this season, for sure. All right, let's move on then. Uh, what is next? Is it me? It is me with the Washington football team. Look at that. Did you, did you see me already catch myself? I was waiting for it. The Washington, Washington FT. Washington football team. Uh, easy question here. Is Dwayne Haskins the one to build around? You know, I went back in preparation for this and watched a lot of his games. You know, you see some great throws against the New York Jets. You see plays on like third and five against the Lions with less than a minute to go. He's, I think he's far more mobile and athletic than given credit for. His arm is outstanding. I mean, he he launches rockets off of it. But he struggled, I would say, as a whole last year. And it's fair to say we don't know what he is. But it, this is also a team that passed on Tua, that passed on Justin Herbert. Scott Turner loves him some Kyle Allen, and that's showing when they traded for him. You know, he's in a prime spot to take over if Dwayne Haskins does struggle at any point this season. And is it something that they ultimately regret being in the position at number two overall and sticking with a quarterback like Dwayne Haskins? And I think it's fair to ask that question, but not have a conclusion for it at this moment. I thought they should have pulled a Rosen, but you totally understand why they didn't, especially when one of the best non-quarterback prospects of the entire decade and Chase Young was there at number two overall. So you understand why they didn't do it. Dwayne Hessens, I just had serious questions about entering the league, and obviously he did nothing uh, to alleviate those concerns last year. Just not someone I, I know can move at a, the level required of an NFL quarterback in 2020. Um, but not some, I mean, he, you should get a second chance if you're a first-round quarterback. So I, I, don't, I don't disapprove of the plan, but, yeah, you certainly should ask the question, and it's very unclear if they made the right decision or not. He graded out so much better forever for whatever it's worth at PFF in those last four starts, as opposed to when he was going in and out of the lineup with Case Keenum middle of the year. Uh, and I still think this offense is going to be one of these sneakier fun ones between Terry McLaurin Ooh. and whatever Scott Turner has up his sleeve with AJG and more importantly with Antonio Gibson as a Curtis Samuel like from both the backfield and the slot. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I wish they had signed any body to play tight end, like not any body, but any warm body to play tight end, as opposed <laughs> to throwing Jeremy Sprinkle out there every snap. Nonetheless, this is what we get. And uh, yeah, I, I'm actually excited to see it play out. I don't know what that does for his fantasy purpose, but I'm excited for it. Let me respond to that because Scott Turner goes from an offense that had Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Greg Olson slash Ian Thomas, and Curtis Samuel to now an offense that basically just has Terry McLaurin. You know, that has major issues at left tackle. I, I don't want to say that, you know, Darius Geis isn't talented. He is. In fact, I was shocked at how good Adrian Peterson looked at times last year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love me some Antonio Gibson. But, Hayden, there is a clear path to struggling with this Washington football team. And if it does, we know often 
especially when a coaching staff has a relationship with another quarterback, that changes can be made because of that. Yeah, the reason why we're asking this question is because the way Washington's offense was set up last year, they were 31st in neutral pace, they were 30th in neutral pass rate, they were 28th in pass attempts. That's why we couldn't figure out what Dwayne Haskins was. Of course, the talent is still not there, but last year, the Carolina offense, 5th in pace, 4th in neutral pass rate, they were 2nd in pass attempts. So we're going to learn if Dwayne at, Dwayne Haskins is the answer or not. I see somebody with the uh, arm strength, the arm accuracy to be a franchise-level quarterback, can he be mobile enough? Can he make the decisions quick enough? Those are the questions that we have to actually answer. But I think all of us will agree. Terry McLaurin is, is the guy that's just going to go absolutely nuts this year. Nuclear. I mean, he remains potentially the best value in fantasy drafts to me right now is like around that wide receiver 22, wide receiver 24. And I'm trying to get him on every single roster this season. And Hayden makes a great point. Dwayne Haskins has the arm talent. We just don't yep. know if he has the movement skills. And since everyone comes here for super flex takes, I will say waiting <laughs> waiting for the fourth and fifth round and just bunching together either Haskins, Darnold, uh, Teddy Bridgewater, or Garoppolo, like that's how you win super flex leagues this year. Got it. Okay. NFC South time. Let's go over to the Atlanta Falcons, who, fun offense, bring Todd Gurley in the fold. But Hayden, because of this division – I don't see that much optimism in the win-loss column here for the Falcons this season. Luckily, we do not care about that as a fantasy football podcast. <laughs> My question is, how will the new offensive pieces fit? So, of course, the offense in general is just very explosive with Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley. And I will say also probably an improved offensive line. But Hayden Hurst for a second-round pick, that was an offseason move. Todd Gurley, they signed for uh, a couple million dollars as well. And there is enough available touches to go around for both of these guys to become fantasy assets. Hayden Hurst uh, obviously fills in for Austin Hooper was third in fantasy points per game, 7.5 targets per game. And the Falcons offense just in general has the most available targets at 258. And then Todd Gurley, of course, uh, we know fills in as a starting running back spot. Both of them are being drafted kind of like, like a little higher than you'd want them to be. But I think that there's enough volume to go around to be fantasy assets in general. And one of his offseason pieces, Hayden projected this offense to run the second most plays per game this year. Not only that, but this team last year passed the ball at the league's highest rate when trailing and then at the fourth highest rate when having a lead. So no matter what the fallout is, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Hayden Hurst, yep. and Todd Gurley in that order. So why wouldn't you want to stack at least three of these pieces in every single draft? Yeah, it's it's a great point, Daigle, because there's a reason why we're doing these podcasts and asking 32 questions. And it's because there's so much confusion and unknown across the league. I would say that the Atlanta Falcons might be the most clear organization in the league right now in terms of fantasy assets. We You just mentioned all of them. Julio, Redley, Gurley, Matt Ryan, Hayden Hurst. That's it. You're done. You can go home. You can draft two or three and stack them, and they're going to bring up fantasy points for you. It's really that simple to me. I will say, if we're looking for you know like negative points here, I mean, the Falcons have done an extremely poor job of protecting Matt Ryan over the past few seasons and did not upgrade their offensive line. Uh, only three teams have allowed more sacks over the past three years than the Falcons, and you know, Maddie, who never misses time, got that high ankle sprain last year, only missed one game. 
but then came back and kind of looked like an old man. Was not did not look good in the second half of the season after a really good first half of the season. So just something to keep an eye on is how Matt Ryan ages behind a line that is still not great. We, we'll see what happens, but they did lose a total of 16 games between James Carpenter and Chris Lindstrom, two guys they drafted in the first round to start. Yeah, Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry came in together and then didn't seem like they were able to play together last year. So that uh, is not fun when that happens. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, moving on to the Carolina Panthers. John Daigle, new system, new team, new head coach. But what's the question here? What is Teddy Bridgewater's ceiling in year one under Joe Brady? Because that will dictate how everyone else falls in line besides Christian McCaffrey. Uh, this team, we, we discussed about it a little bit on the last pod, that the continuity here is lacking with the offensive line, with under center, with the coaching staff in particular. But Bridgewater at least ha- does have that one-year overlap in New Orleans as their backup with Brady and – uh, just the schedule they have in place. If the, we expect them to be in shootouts, and we do because they have such such question marks at cornerback in particular, then what are we predicting Bridgewater to be? And my guess is still a top 16, top 18 quarterback, I guess, if I'm getting leeway, which uh, makes also Curtis Samuel a great buy behind DJ Moore. I want to ask Hayden this because, you know, we hear this all the time during the season, before the season. You know, oh, this team has a bad defense. They're going to be in garbage time. They're going to create points because of it. How much is that is true? You know, don't we much prefer to go to teams that have good offenses, that win football games, because that's where the efficiency is. If they're putting more points on the scoreboard, that means fantasy points in your pocket as well. I mean, look, I love DJ Moore trying to draft him everywhere. Christian McCaffrey obviously is the number one overall selection. But this is losing me a little bit of thinking that Teddy Bridgewater is going to be maybe fantasy relevant at times, just a volume alone when he was last in the league and average air yards per attempt last season. Yeah. I think it's just when the people you're drafting with, they see the Panthers like, Oh, they're going to be bad. I'm just not going to draft any of them. And then these guys kind of slide a bit, a little bit further in ADP than they rather should be. But I like, like we said before, I think the Panthers are just going to be the biggest volume team that's being underappreciated uh, I think last year they were second in plays. They should be somewhere near that in pass attempts as well. Or second in pass attempts last year. They should be somewhere near that again. So like you said, it's all these guys, just volume plays, and I'm okay with it. Yeah. I don't know. Whenever yeah. I'm looking at DFS, and I've looked at it a lot over the last few years, Daigle, isn't it true that you want a quarterback who's a home favorite expected to score 24 points as a team? When are the Panthers ever going to be that this season? Never. Well, I well, they play the Raiders week one, so <laughs> calm down a little bit. Uh, I will, no, but I will say uh, for Bridgewater, at least, I forgot my point now. I had a really good point, and I just completely said <laughs> It was a good joke, at least. Yes. Uh, I, I, again, we talked about this in a previous podcast. Fascinated to see who was going to be that volume vacuum in the slot 
because is it going to be DJ Moore who's placed there? Because we know that this team is going to take a lot of concepts away from the New Orleans Saints and Michael Thomas does some of his best work in the slot. Justin Jefferson did a lot of great work in Joe Brady's system in the slot last year, but there is no singular player that seamlessly fits in that role for the Panthers so far that we know about. Probably not worth the wait, but the next two closest in average depth of target to Teddy Bridgewater were Derek Carr, because that's what he's done since his back injury in 2017, and Drew Brees, because it was the system he was in with Bridgewater. That's what those quarterbacks do. Whereas his two years in Minnesota before he got injured, but his two years in Minnesota, his dot never dropped below 7.2. So I still think he can throw the ball deep effectively. We just didn't see it because the system didn't dictate it the past few years. All I'll say about Panthers' uh, offensive optimism is that I mean, this is a lot of new parts to be working in after an offseason that did not exist. A new coach, new offensive coordinator, new quarterback. And just be leery of that situation in this kind of year. Let's go over to the New Orleans Saints, who nothing has changed. I mean, they still are one of the powerhouses in the NFL, Pat, but this is going to be Drew Brees' last run in New Orleans. Is, and I'm just, can Alvin Kamara rebound as a receiving threat? You know, normally one of the most dynamic uh, receiving threats out of the backfield in the entire NFL. And the last year with the ankle woes was just not himself. He dropped from fourth in yards per route run amongst running backs in 2018 down to 14th. Uh, amongst uh, running backs, at least 40 receptions. He was 17th out of 20 in yards per catch, which can be misleading. Uh, but, you know, this was an offense where, running back targets should produce at least eight or nine uh, yards per catch because you are set up for success in this Saints offense with those kind of looks. And he just didn't have it. He just couldn't move uh, the way we're used to him moving. And yet, and for an offense, you know, that's still very narrow. I mean, they have Emmanuel Sanders now, but they really rely on their top three weapons to generate the yards for this offense. And yet, can Alvin Kamara, both for the Saints and for fantasy, you know, kind of get back to the receiving threat we're used to him being and, it really goose his uh, PPR totals again. Yeah, I have the splits before his ankle and after his ankle. Um, before his ankle injury, he was forcing a missed tackle on 0.32 of his touches, and then after that would drop to 0.14. So that's like he cut it in half his his effectiveness. And like like myself, Kamara's been pushing a lot of cars this offseason. He should be in great <laughs> shape coming into the year. So I'm – vaulting him back into, but I think he's my fourth overall player right now. Despite the inefficiency, it still flew under the radar that it was his first year without Mark Ingram. And he not so coincidentally finished with a career high and nice 69% snap rate. So if we can expect that to continue to again, finish with a 69 to 71% rate, like, of course we're all in on a top four player. Does that mean we're also in on Latavius Murray? Like at least mm-hmm. I am, because especially where he's going in drafts, if one, he's going to get like eight touches a week. Also, maybe inside the 20 yard line, one of the best offenses in the NFL. But also, like when Alvin Kamara went down last year, you had like the running back two overall, you had the running back three overall weeks. I love that. I also want to bring up Emmanuel Sanders' name because I think Emmanuel Sanders was a good addition, probably better football wise than production wise with the 49ers last year. But going back and looking at this team over the last three seasons, their number two wide receiver has only averaged 37 catches and 545 yards. Yet right now, Emmanuel Sanders is being drafted as like the wide receiver 44 ahead of the likes of Henry Ruggs and Jalen Rager and Sterling Shepard, other names we've mentioned. If he's only going to get that, I'm avoiding that this season. 
I think he'll get more than that. I mean, the number two receiver has been usually like a role player type, like Traquan Smith or Ted. Do not Ginn. insult Ted Ginn like that, sir. <laughs> this is a pro Ted Ginn no, podcast. That's a good Ted Ginn. I mean, talk about someone who owns their role. He's one of the best role players of the past 15 years. Uh, I, I do think the usage will be better for Manuel Sanders, but I will say, I mean, injuries have been a problem. Came back shockingly quickly from the Achilles and looked great, but then was kind of banged up uh, most of the year for the 49ers, and he is a receiver. Uh, in his early 30s. So that is something to keep in mind with Emmanuel Sanders. It would not be shocking if he proved me wrong. But Sanders is someone who I genuinely don't think I've drafted one time in best ball leagues. And I've been playing playing them since February. So that should tell you something. Uh, I will say what he will do is that Jared Cook quietly played the third highest snap rate from the slot last year. And that's where Sanders is going to play. And I believe it was seven touchdowns from the slot that Jared Cook uh, caught. So that's where he affects that offense in particular is making me want to fade Jared Cook even more. Hmm. Let's go down to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, what a year they had last year, the first 30 and 30 quarterback. Um, <laughs> so what what is the jump going to be from a quarterback who threw 30 interceptions in Jameis Winston in one season to a quarterback who hasn't thrown 30 interceptions in the last four seasons combined? And Tom Brady, you know, he threw 30 in the wild card round, but (laughs) we've seen, especially last year with the number of volume of passes and the style of Jameis Winston, you know, Mike Evans posted his sixth straight season of 1000 plus receiving yards, six straight. I mean, that's unbelievable. And then Chris Godwin maybe was even more dominant with over 1300 yards and nine touchdowns. Is Tom Brady going to be able to support both of these along with Rob Gronkowski, along with whoever else they trot out there? Because while I still think he has enough to help a team win a Super Bowl, I'm not sure he has enough to make us love him in fantasy football formats. The answer is no, because he's throwing under 31 touchdowns. Right, Josh? <laughs> it's a <laughs> I wasn't going to get to this point already, Daigle, but since you bring it up, I mean, only seven quarterbacks hit that 32 touchdown mark last season. Brady only had 27. Um I think he can do it because of the pass catching options that we talked about because the lack of running game options near that goal line. But I don't know. I mean, I I can understand both aspects of this Hayden. Where are you at? Is it more that you just are in love with Chris Godwin or is it that you do believe that Bruce Arians and company understand what they're doing here and that everyone's still going to get theirs in this offense? Well, I think we can think the offense is going to be good but we have to believe, are they going to be good enough to outperform their average draft position? And I'm kind of out on Chris Godwin, unfortunately. I love him as a player. Um, I think he's a better fit with Tom Brady, who hasn't been passing the ball downfield nearly as often. Keep in mind, the Bucks were first in passes going 20-plus yards downfield last year. The Patriots were 23rd with Tom Brady. So I'm kind of out on Chris Godwin. Uh, Mike Evans, kind of the same thing. I haven't been really drafting any of these guys, but I think that the offense will still be good. I just think everyone's really pricing them towards their ceiling. It's it's just tough. I mean, Warren Moon threw for 200 yards at 44, and that's the last instance we have of someone even trying. And and obviously, a lot has improved since then. Nutrition, people are pushing cars to work out now, apparently. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so, so we just don't know. And Brady threw for 4,000 yards at the age of 42. Um, so for me, it's strictly been betting on talent and not so much Brady, just betting on the pieces around him. Uh, maybe I believe I have Mike Evans ranked as my wide receiver 
13 overall, and that's offensive, I understand, because he's such a great player. But Chris Godwin finishing as somewhere wide receiver 7 or 8. OG Howard's a tight end 3. And Gronk filling in between tight end 10 to 12, a low end tight end 1 as a touchdown in particular scorer. Um, and so that's all it is. You're just betting on the talent. But for Brady in particular, man, I don't know, because it's come down to the question, right? Was it Patriots offense last year, or was it Brady just being done? I don't know if I agree with people leaving Mike Evans for dead. I certainly understand the thought process behind it. You know, Bruce Arians claims Tom Brady's a good fit for his offense. Pro football focus, you know, still graded Tom Brady is actually one of the league's better deep ball passers last year. He didn't do it nearly as much as we're used to seeing, but it's been several years since he had a legitimate deep option at all. You know, Mike Evans, it's not too Mike Evans can compile too. It's not like Mike Evans mm-hmm. is like a streak route specialist down the sideline. So I agree. It's a very, very difficult situation to prognosticate, but I'm not leaving. Hayden is probably right. I think they're going to have good seasons, but they're being drafted right. at their ceiling, and that's tough. But but if that's the case, if you don't want to draft Chris Godwin in round two, if you don't want to draft Mike Evans in round three, if you don't want to draft Gronk wherever he's going because of the unknown, just draft Tom Brady as like the quarterback 11, and you get all three, you know? It's, it's not the worst idea. Tom Brady's being drafted, I think, kind of where he should be. Uh, I think the, the the receivers and the tight ends are being drafted a little bit higher than I'd want them to be. Who is the most controversial name you are taking Tom Brady over? Josh. Um, Josh Allen. Probably Josh Allen. I mean, y'all are crazy for this. Josh Allen is going as the quarterback seven right now. Hell yeah, Uh, he is. (laughs) Tom's going as the quarterback nine. I mean, I'm taking Carson Wentz ahead of both. Um, We'll leave, we'll leave the running back question for another day, gentlemen, by the way. All right, let's go over to the NFC West, starting off with everyone's favorite team. It seems like the Arizona Cardinals hate wings. Yeah, it's kind of a silly question, but I'm asking which offense they will run. So last year, I think this was a roto-pat note in the team previews, was 31% of their plays were in four wide receiver sets. I think that number is going to climb a little bit this year. They have a pretty good four receiver set, set right now. It's DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, and Andy Isabella possibly having a little bit better of a season. Prayers last up. Year, yes, please. Uh, last year, the Cardinals were second in pace, fourth in neutral pass rates but they were truly a rushing offense. They were second in the league in rushing EP, EPA. That's great news for Kenyon Drake. They run a lot from shotgun. That's great. They run to, to the outside. That's also really great. So I'm kind of curious how DeAndre Hopkins is going to fit in here, what that means for Christian Kirk. Is he going to play on the inside or the outside? And then just are they going to be running the ball perhaps a little bit more just because they were so effective last year? Hayden, it's not a silly question. I mean, it is the question, and the Cardinals couldn't decide – what kind of offense they wanted to be last year. Were they going to be run heavy? Were they going to be pass heavy? Uh, When they were pass heavy, were they going to be horizontal or were they going to be vertical? Uh, We know that they want to be vertical. That's why they went out and aggressively got DeAndre Hopkins uh, to more effectively run these four receiver sets. But yeah, we don't, we we don't know. So it is a great question. I also think it's a huge positive uh, for the Cardinals because like Chip Kelly, you know, had no plan B. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury already seems to have a plan B, C, and D. So he, he's not going to get caught uh, you know, trying to do the same thing over and over again and having no backup plan. So I liked the experimentation last year. And, hey, I think you're right. The, the 31% four receiver sets, that's going to climb significantly this year because well, well, they just didn't have the personnel last year. And hopefully I'm not repeating what you said, Hayden, but the expectations, we didn't know what they were. We had a lot of them heading into last year. This team was the second lowest in the NFL in three wide receiver sets with 36%. And they also – easily 
easily led the NFL last year in four wide receiver sets. I mean, the dichotomy of that is, is extreme. I mean, it's massive in just the two different types that they run. Um, we, go ahead. We, we saw it in Kirk's, in Kirk's usage last year. Through week eight, the first half of the season, he was in the slot on 80% of his routes, whereas the next eight games, he was on the outside uh, for, I believe, is 86% of his routes. They just changed his position. The difference is this year, he can't play on the outside, most likely, because that's where Hopkins and perhaps Fitzgerald, who, who knows how they're going to use them, perhaps interchangeable, I guess. But either way, uh, I just think it's an offense, even if they're run first, which is what I expect them to be, it's an offense you have to come away with pieces of. Yeah. Even if it's like Chase Edmonds, right, Hayden? Like you have to yes. come away with this. Yeah, Chase Edmonds might be my highest owned player in fantasy drafts this year. Let's put a, a foot, a line in the sand. Uh, where does everyone have Hopkins ranked? Because I've seen everything from wide receiver six to just outside wide receiver one territory. I, I know uh, Pat's a big fan. This year. I believe I have a wide receiver three. I just don't think the volume is going to fall off yeah. the way people think. I mean, I think at most it would fall off 10 to 15 targets. And <sighs> no one was more starved for quality looks than the Arizona Cardinals. And like, Look at how like DeAndre Hopkins addressed like their biggest need. And this wants to be a high volume, high pass attempt offense. And I think DeAndre Hopkins can pretty easily get to 150 again. Not only do you have him that hot, you have him as wide receiver two, Pat. The rest of us wide receiver five, and then Nick has him as wide receiver six. One last uh, note. This is one of my favorite stats of this offseason. Uh the Cardinals were second in pace last year, but I believe they were 22nd in offensive plays. That's because they weren't running an efficient enough offense. If we do think that the offense is going to be more efficient, the play volume is going to go way, way, way up. And Hopkins is still only 27. Man. Let's move on over to the Los Angeles Rams, where their head coach is about 27 years old as well. That is Sean McVay. And Sean McVay has done a lot of changing this offseason as an offensive coordinator, moved on from Wade Phillips as defensive coordinator. But John Daigle, what's the big question for them? How will this backfield shake out? Because Cam Akers is being drafted as the RB24 between David Montgomery and Kareem Hunt right now. And Daryl Henderson is going as the RB44 to start the 12th round. But both can be considered either overvalued or undervalued, depending on your own personal outlook. Um, Sean McFay recently came out and mentioned wanting to use a four-man backfield. The difference is from that and normal coach speak is that he's proved to us in the past he will absolutely change the game plan mid-season if need be. Two years ago, Todd Gurley went from being a bell cow to splitting the load with C.G. Anderson through the playoffs. Last year, Gurley went from getting 65% of the snaps to being the only running back getting touches, essentially, once he came back from injury, oddly enough. And then we also saw at the end of the year, the last five games, Cooper Cup gets scaled back because they used more 12 personnel and used Josh Reynolds and Brandon Cooks interchangeably on the outside with Cup. So... To me, the way I'm looking at it is that right now, yes, there was previously a reason to value Akers as a running as an RB2 overall. But given what McFay said, I think he's now overvalued. Uh, whereas Daryl Henderson, he won't be the starter, I understand. But I do think there are, much like Tevin Coleman in the Niners, spot start instances, particularly for best ball leagues, where he's going to blow up. You know, I don't think it matters, to be honest, unless okay. this offensive line plays better. Because... If the offensive line doesn't play better, this this offense is going nowhere, you know, because one, run blocking to create running back production. Two, the quarterback is the worst in the NFL in terms of a drop off 
from clean pockets to disrupted pockets. I didn't know if you and, were going to add anything after the worst in the NFL. <laughs> I hesitated. So we can just, you know, do a hard edit right there and just end the clip if we want to. Um, but he is, and he just like is unusable as an NFL starter almost. If this team allows the same type of pressure, the same percentage of pressure as they did last season. And I mean, you could not go from what we thought about this offense heading in to the 2019 season versus what we think about it now, because that, that is drastically different. And Sean knows that. Sean McVay knows that. That's why he's trying to change rather than run 11 personnel 92% of the time each and every week. And it all comes down to the offensive line for me, but they didn't change it at all. They're just hoping that last year was an outlier and that that can be super dangerous. Yeah, Josh, this is a good point. And Sean McVay absolutely was addressing this as best as he could last year, not with the personnel, but what he was doing with the offense. Todd Gurley led all running backs and pass blocking reps last season. And if you look at what Cam Akers did surprisingly very well in college was pass blocking. That's something that Darrell Henderson was awful at in college and they didn't give him any chances to pass block last year. I think only six snaps in pass pass protection last year for Darrell Henderson and Cam Akers was had the third most pass blocking reps in all of college football last year. That's why I think Cam Akers at least going to be on the field, but is he going to catch enough passes if he's just going to be sitting there and pass blocking? Dago, what is it for for Daryl Henderson to not come up in your draft order and on your fancy teams this year? Like, how, good, how do you put it? He is a good zero running back target, to be fair. <laughs> Come on. Uh, so, no, the big thing, though, that no one's talking about is that that's why I personally am higher on Gurley. We've talked about him in the past because Gurley escaped an offense that targeted the running back at a league low rate and went to the Falcons, a pass happy offense. Like this year, Cam Akers and Henderson, perhaps, like they could have no ceiling if it's the same attack and just not targeting running backs whatsoever. Gurley did finish 45th out of 45th in running backs uh, yards per route run. So that is a potential concern, but he's going to be running routes. And that's the first step to catching passes. Continuing the Rams Falcons theme. I look forward to the Rams signing Devontae Freeman and making this even worse. Um, Well, let's close on that note uh, and move on over to the San Francisco 49ers, the Super Bowl loser last year, Pat, Uh, a team who was a lot of fun. Very exciting, potentially the best play caller in the NFL. But Pat, what's the one burning question this year? I mean, is Jimmy Garoppolo good? Is really what I would <laughs> like to know. And uh, we had saw an offense that had a ton of success, mostly scheming around its quarterback last year. But a quarterback that really, you know, when they like really needed Jimmy Garoppolo to make a play, like he did it sometimes, but he was someone they couldn't really lean on in crunch time and. You know, I mean, again, the rushing attack was so good. But when you have, you know, in the playoffs and your quarterback is attempting like 10 to 11 passes, I mean, that speaks volumes. And it also speaks volumes the way they're designing their offense. They want everyone to be a yards after catch, yards after first contact monster. And I would just would like to know if Jimmy Garoppolo is good, basically, and hmm. worry that maybe we've already seen as good as Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get. And because as we've seen with someone in this division, Jared Goff, you can only scheme around a quarterback for so long before some of the underlying issues start to rise to the top. And I just worry that maybe the 49ers have already maxed out uh, what they can do with Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that is totally fair. I will counter that, though by saying that George Kittle is spectacular. This offensive line, despite all the injuries they dealt with last year, was fantastic. D. 
Debo Samuel, when he comes back, is good. Um, and they have potentially, again, the best play caller in the NFL. So for a 16-game NFL season, does Jimmy Garoppolo have to be good in order for this team to be good? Probably not. But, Pat, it's it's a important question because is he good enough to get to a Super Bowl? Yes. Is he good enough to win the Super Bowl if everything breaks right? Yes. But is he the type that is going to lift you up and be able to score 21 points in the court in a single quarter when you were behind in the scoreboard, like his counterpart in Patrick Mahomes did? I'm not saying he has to be that, but there's a few quarterbacks that can do that across the league. And I don't think that he is that at this moment. And again, that's fine for the regular season, but in the single game elimination playoff games, when you can, to me, throw out um, all these other factors that you can factor in during a full regular season, it might come down to him on a few of those plays like it did in the Super Bowl. And right now I'm going to lean towards, no, he can't make this. I don't know if he's good, but he's at least bizarro Daniel Jones for fantasy because whereas <laughs> the Giants open up with a menacing schedule that we discussed, uh, the Niners open up with the Cardinals, Jets, Giants, Dolphins, and Rams in five of their first six games. So that's a player that I actually want to draft. And then when your league mates drop Daniel Jones because they don't realize he faced one of the league's toughest schedules through the first month of the season, then you pick up Daniel Jones and can ride those legs to success down the stretch. Just might have been, can Jimmy Garoppolo create instant offense, which is kind of what you were asking, Josh. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the 49ers offense last year, they were fourth in yards, second in scoring, and 19th in plays. We're going to kind of see these numbers kind of go meet somewhere in the middle where I don't think they're going to be scoring as many points, but they should be running some more plays just by default. Let's close this one out with the Seattle Seahawks. Very simple question. Are they good enough to win a Super Bowl? Because we know that Russell Wilson basically won't allow this team to be average or bad. You know, he's such a gamer that he keeps them in so many contests. And it helps to have Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf alongside. But he basically went on like a media tour and was just jealous of what Andy Reid creates for his offense, what Kyle Shanahan creates of his offense, and basically pleaded openly at times for Shoddy to open up this offense for him. And we all want it from the outside too. But one, what if he doesn't? What if Brian Schottenheimer does the exact same thing? And two, defensively, this team potentially is even worse, right? No Jadavion Clowney as of right now. They're going to run more base defense than anyone in the league because they just drafted another linebacker in the first round, whereas everyone else is running, you know, nickel, three cornerback looks on 60-something percent of their defensive snaps. Seahawks are like, oh, no, we're just going to keep three linebackers in the fold. I are Will they get out of Russell Wilson's way so this team can reach their ceiling? And it's frustrating, Pat, that we have to ask that question. It seems like for the fourth year in a row right now. It is extremely frustrating. And I think the answer is the no, they're not going to change. The smoke signals from Shadi and Pete Carroll have just basically said they aren't going to fix what they don't think is broken. And even though we all think that even Russell Wilson, you know, to get a rise out of Russell Wilson, you have to really try hard about as even keeled of a person as exists. And even when he was begging for more explosive offense setup, he was still a very even keeled Russell, but I don't see any reason to expect it to change, um, which is extremely unfortunate because John used the word bizarre earlier. Russell Wilson's like the bizarro Philip Rivers. Like he like somehow he takes horrible situations and somehow turns them into victories. Like the Seahawks are always one of the teams whose record is like better than their point differential suggests this should be. And 
a lot of that is just Russell Wilson being Superman. And they wouldn't have to do that if they just opened up the offense in the first half instead of waiting till there's seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. But yeah, I haven't seen, aside from Russell pleading for it, which I'm sure the coaches took notice of, like, oh, that's kind of weird. Uh, there's been no evidence that they are planning to change their approach. Yeah, adding Carlos Hyde, a uh, thousand yard bulldozing running back into the mix only makes it even more concerning. But, and, but the number I keep going back to 29th in neutral situation pass rate, come on. Like, I mean, you can't be Russell Wilson and be 23rd in total pass attempts and third in rush attempts. I mean, it's I mean, absurd. The, the ideal situation letting Russ cook is like his uh, wild card win last year over the Eagles where he threw 30 times for 320 yards and then also ran nine times for 45 yards. They could do that every time and come away 14 and two every single season. <laughs> uh, but the, the instant, the question we're asking is, will it happen? And the fact is we just don't know. Uh, Pete Carroll has to stay coach because he's a leader of men type um, who's very good at, just understanding, especially new players coming into the organization. And Russell Wilson is one of the best quarterbacks ever, who no one will ever know really in the public eye is one of the best quarterbacks ever because they'll never let him launch the ball 40 times a game. Uh, It's a disheartening situation, but also one that you just take it week to week. That's why it's much better in like redraft, I suppose. Uh, And I wish we had answers because it'd be fun to watch him throw every single time. All right. We did it, gentlemen. Those are your one burning questions for every single NFC team. If you missed it, go back and check out our AFC episode that dropped on Tuesday. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or wherever other platform, be sure to leave us a ring review. If you're on YouTube, hello, uh, go and check us out on your podcast platform as well. Gentlemen, good job. This was a lot of fun. Um, I'm still nervous. My brain has been bouncing off of Jack Grealish, Ali Samata, all these other wonderful names over in Birmingham right now. You get you get one segment per pod. That's <laughs> it. You're abusing your privilege. Uh, you, we just might have- said, you just said Birmingham instead of Birmingham. You're really taking it like the full the full nine yards. We um, might have an emergency pod Sunday night. Who knows? All right, <laughs> that's going to do it for us. For Hayden Winks, for John Daigle, for Josh Norris, for Patrick Dart. We'll be back next week, Tuesday and Friday. Once again, up the villa. Talk to y'all soon. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.